So I'm going to be preaching this morning. The title of my preach is Strengthening Yourself in the Lord. And uh, if you are a scholar of the scriptures, you'll immediately know that that comes from 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. I know, it was, all of you, it was just sprang to mind. Eh? Ah, 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, I knew it was there. And it's that, um, it's that a wonderful scripture where, um, you know, there's kind of moments where we may, perhaps things are a bit tough and we, 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 somebody sends us that scripture. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, you know. Um, and I've read it many times, quoted it many times but not fully understood the story behind that moment where David comes to that place. And a little while ago, I felt like I lived out the story a little bit, which is not a good story. Sometimes we can come tell great stories and um, you can find out how amazing we are as pastors or whatever. And sometimes the Lord um, allows us to tell the stories that are a little bit raw and vulnerable and things like that. And so, but this story for David actually starts a few chapters back. So if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 27, and we're going to read the first four verses there, and then we will unpack the story a little bit and see and what it really does mean for us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So you're there, 1 Samuel 27, 1 to 4. It should be behind us. It says, then, then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Like I hope you can hear how tragic a statement that is. This is the man anointed by God to be king of Israel. This is a man that has seen the deliverance of God time and time again. And he says this, I shall perish one, one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better. There's no future for me. There's no better promise for me. There is no hope for me better than for me to just escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul, he says, will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel and I shall escape out of his hand. And so David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Axish, the son of Moak, the king of Gath, with a whole lot of his family. And in verse 4, and when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Now, I don't know if you've had one of those weeks, you know, those times in your life where you kind of had, it's week after week after week after week of whatever difficult thing that you've gone through. And you get to that week when it just seems to build up and finally you just, it's just too much. I know you've been doing a series called Seated and Sent. Today's, huh? Seated and Sealed. Today is um, Unseated and Spent. That's what I'm talking about. Like, like we, of course we're seated with Christ and we know that that's done. But there's days where you feel like maybe we've slipped off the chair. Do you know what I mean? We, we're no longer seated with Christ in heavenly places. We feel like we landed hard on the ground. We've got no energy left. Um, and they... They often come at those moments with, with um, just junk in our lives as well. This is not stories of like persecution and it's like, ah oh man, I'm really justified in feeling where I am because the Bible tells us that His grace is sufficient for us. And so there's never an excuse for us to come to a place where we fall into sin or we hurt other people or like David, um, we give up on the destiny that God has put upon our lives. But we do get to those places. It's not a place we ought to get to, but we do get there. I can what happened was um, last year, November, we had, had a, quite a busy time in the life of the church and for uh, me and my travel. I, I do a lot of work into India and Sri Lanka. And I'd gone to, um, to spend a week in India and then straight flown from India to spend a week in Sri Lanka. When we had arrived in Delhi in India, um, one of the ladies, an Indian lady that used to be in our church, had fetched us from the airport and uh, arranged a taxi for us. And 
just to greet us. And then halfway along, she jumped out the taxi to go home. And we were going to then take the taxi on to Agra, which you'll know is the place where the Taj Mahal is, the city of the, the, the symbol of romance. And she pulled me aside and she said, Rob, I just want to tell you something. When you go there, you preach the message that God's given you to preach and you get out as quickly as you can. What a wonderful, warm-hearted welcome to India. And uh, they've apparently been attacking um, pastors in the area. They've been burning down churches. Um, if the government catches you preaching there, you will never be allowed back into the country again. They'll put a ban on your, um, any, on your passport. You, you'll never go back again. And in this particular village where we were going, apparently it was bad. Now, when I hear things like that, I just get more excited. I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be an adventure. And it was, and we thank God for the time that happened. But also, you don't realize some of the battles that you're fighting because you're just kind of running on anointing and adrenaline or whatever it is that keeps us going. We had that time, and then we went, and we had a time in Sri Lanka. It was amazing. It was a breakthrough moment. It was significant, but a lot of weight. I came back from that straight into our local church and took off kind of my apostolic hat, put on my local church hat, preached the next Sunday as I arrived back and, you know, carried on dealing with people's broken marriages and this thing and the next thing. And then I can remember there was this, this little moment where the Holy Spirit reminded me of after I was on a Zoom call with somebody and I said something and, it was, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me afterwards, yo, 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 yo. That is such an arrogant thing to say. I'd said something, I just, I'm proud, pride had come up in me. It just, like, I thought, I'm working so hard. I'm counting so much. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the difficult places. What about the rest of you? Why aren't you kind of doing this, you know? And, um, and I didn't at that moment repent. I just heard the, the Holy Spirit, yo, 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 and just left it, you know? And then what happened was, um, I don't know, some days after this, I can't remember exactly, um, something took place of which I'm ashamed, and, and it's, it wasn't a good thing. It was not like, wow, you know, I'm glad that kind of happened because of what it taught me. I wish it never happened. It was, it was just a moment of sin that ended up hurting somebody that I love very dearly and uh, led me to the place where I had to go get a hold of a friend and confess to him what had happened and begin to work a process of dealing with this. And it came out of the blue like this. It felt like to me. But actually, when I look back, I realized that it had been a, a series of of events that had taken place. I'd allowed myself to become empty. I'd gone on like doing, I'm, I'm going to grit my teeth and get through this thing. I'm going to count. I'm going to be strong. And hadn't um, allowed the, the Lord to come and refresh me and strengthen me again. I hadn't come as David and um, would do later on to strengthen myself in the Lord. And boom, something had happened like that to me that had left me um, reeling, you know. And 1 Samuel 30 is the end of that kind of week for David. He also had found himself um, just, in fact, 1 Samuel 27 is the, the end of that kind of week. Saul's been chasing him around. Saul's trying to kill him every single time, even when he's had opportunity to take Saul out. And Saul then keeps saying, oh, David, you're my son. I love you. You're amazing. Like, come back home. You've done nothing wrong. And then he tries to kill him again. And then remember that situation when David had fled the first time and he had gone to the priest and he had eaten some of the bread and taken Goliath's sword. And then um, that uh, guy whose name was the dog, the Edomite, Diog, the Edomite, the dog, had um, kind of told on those priests and Saul had had them all killed. And, and that was all on David. And he had this 
band of misfits with them they were, that he was leading. And like so much, like it was just so much. And he just said, you know what? I'm up to you. I'm giving up. Like whatever with my destiny, whatever with the promises of God, I'm sick and tired of coming into church and singing about the promises because I never see them. I'm sick and tired of praying for the sick because they don't get healed. I'm sick and tired of people telling me about the call upon my life because I see nothing of it outworking. And he just gave up. And so in 1 Samuel 30, it comes to the, that critical point where David falls upon his knees in deep repentance and brokenness and then humility, and God begins to strengthen him. And David at Baxton, as I said, this, this, this chapter in 1 Samuel 27 is as sad as in 2 Samuel 11, when, remember, he's, he's sitting in the city when he should have gone to war, and he looks out from the, the roof of his, of his palace and sees below him Bathsheba bathing. And we know how terrible that story is. This is just as bad that Samuel, that, that, um, David had given up on the promises that God had made um, over him. And he makes this decision. I mean, the first mistake he makes is in 1 Samuel 27, 1, where it says he decided in his heart. He said to himself in his heart, I want to say to you, friends, one of the worst things we can do is make decisions in the secret place of our own heart. Just speak them out to somebody. Just verbalize it to somebody. Speak to your husband or your wife or a friend or a, a leader in the church or whoever it is. Just say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. Because you might get the answer back, man. Like, what? Are you, like, no, bro. Are you cr-? Like, if somebody had said, if, if, uh, if Sa- um, Samuel had been around and, and, and David had gone to him and said, man, Saul's going to kill me one day. Like, like, the best thing that could happen for me is let me settle for a second-rate destiny instead of what God has promised. Samuel would have said, David. David, I've anointed you. Do you not remember the promises of God that have spoken over you? Every promise is yes and amen. He wouldn't have said through Christ, but I think prophetically he might have said that. But that's the reality, you know. And so, and then what happens is we make these second-rate decisions where we settle for second-rate destinies. And we seem to be at, thank goodness I've done that. I've got some peace. That's what David got. Saul stopped chasing him. Saul said, oh, well, he's gone to the Philistines and he stopped chasing him. He had this false sense of security. And sometimes we let go of God's destiny and we go, and then we suddenly go, wow, the waters are calm. Finally, I have some peace and ease in my life. Maybe there was never the promise of God for me. I'm, I'm glad I let go of it um, when I did. And, 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 we, and we get to those places where actually just having the pressure off us is, is enough of an answer to us. The, Forget the destiny, you know. But it's in 1 Samuel 29, verse 6 to 8, that God begins to deal with David. I, I often say that um, God is, is an amazing fisherman. Um, I would be a useless fisherman, but God is amazing. Like He, we, he hooks us, um, and we, we caught, and then we like pull against him, and so he, he flips open the reel and lets us run. And we're kind of running around, yeah, hey, I'm free, I'm free. I'm done. Forget about God. I don't worry about their destiny. And then suddenly there's a... As a real closes and there's a whoa like this. And we begin to get pulled back like this. And God is beginning to reel David back in again. He hasn't given up on David's destiny even when David had given up. And so in um, 1 Samuel 29 verse 6 to 8, the story is the Philistines are going to go fight against Israel now. There's going to be this massive battle. And let me just give you a little bit of background Yeah, David's been a sneaky, sneaky guy. So he's gone to this guy, Akshish, uh, the, the king of Gath, and he said to him, um, give me a place that I can live in. So he'd gone to this town called Ziklag. And Ziklag it must be like a swear word in our 
biblical vocabulary, okay? Whenever you hear ziklag, you, you spit or something like that. Whatever you do when you hear something terrible. And so David says, I'm going to go there. And he builds himself a substitute kingdom. He now becomes, as it were, the king of Ziklag. He does these raids into the Malachites' territory, and he, and he takes all this plunder. Now he's accumulating all this wealth. He feels like, like I'm like a king. I've got all this plunder around me. I've got this army that serves me. And he goes to Axis, and he says to him, he says, where have you been? He says, oh, I've been invading the territories of Israel. He's, he's, he's lying to him. He's building his kingdom upon deception and upon lies. He says, I've been, I've been going to Israel. I've been raiding them. And so the king, this Philistine king, thinks, well, that's amazing. Because if David's doing that, he's going to become a stench in the nostrils of Israel. He'll never be able to go back again. And so that's done for him. But David's been lying the whole time. And, and then what happens is um, it's time to fight Israel. And so actually says to him, David, you're my right-hand man. You come with me and fight in this battle against Israel. And David says, Nothing would, would delight me better. I don't know, what is he thinking? He's scheming and like that. This whole thing's beginning to catch up with him. And it does with us as well, eh? The minute we start to let deception in, things begin to get complicated. Like, and we're like, how do I get out of this? We tell one lie here. We cover up something there. Things, the pressure comes in and we react in the wrong way. And it becomes super difficult. But, but um, what happens is David goes to the front line and the other Philistine leaders wisely figure, oh, oh, we've heard about this, David. Isn't this the one they sang the songs about? Saul's killed his thousands of Philistines, and David's his tens of thousands of Philistines. We're the Philistines. He's been killing us. Now we're going to take him into battle with us. He's going to be on our flank fighting against Israel, and at that exact moment, he's going to turn around and kill the tens of thousands of us and win favor with Saul again. No, 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 no. We're not stupid. David must go. And so we pick up here, and Axios comes to David, and says to him, I swear by the Lord that you have been a trustworthy ally. He has not. He's been a deceiving, lying man. I think you should go with me into battle, for I've never found a single flaw in you from the day you arrived until today. He's not looking very hard. But the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them, but go back quietly. Now, you would think that David would go, whoo, I got saved. But not David. What have I done? To deserve this treatment. Don't we get to that? We're victims. They're like, what have I done? Like, I've been such a, he's a lying, conniving dog at this point. And he's going on like he's been this, this pure as a driven snow. He demands, what have you ever found in your servant that I can't go and fight the enemies of my Lord, the king? And uh, I want to tell you that God is watching over David even at this time. And he watches over us when we're in this messy place. I've written in my, in my Bible here, our disappointments can be God's deliverance and the path to our destiny. Our disappointments, the delays, the things that we, we've like, like if, if this thing doesn't come to pass now, I don't know if I can trust God anymore. And we, we become so disappointed, but that might be the, de the deliverance of the Lord and how he leads us into our, de our destiny. We've got a personal story, Linda and I, about this. When we, we got married, we've been married 30 years this year. And so in 1993, we were married, and um, we have differing accounts of when we started to want to have children. Um, I think Linda sneakily started a little bit before we had a conversation about it, but because seven years went by of us trying to have children. And I've got to say, it was, it was difficult for me, the delays of God and us um, not having children. If you've been through that, you know how wrenching it is. It was extremely difficult for Linda, because 
we, we'd made the decision at the point, okay, we want to have children. Then we tried and we tried and we tried. And as fun as that is, we, there, was a, there was an intent at the end. Went by and months went by until a year has gone by and second year went by and a third year went by and a fourth year went by. And then every month after that becomes exceedingly difficult. And at one point, uh, Linda said, said, she said to me, Rob, I don't even know if I have faith in God anymore. Like, like where is, we've cried out, there's nothing wrong. Like, we've, like where is the answer to our prayer? And I can remember the one day I was, I was um, driving to work. I can remember where I was on the road. And there was a little, there was a guy in a, in, a, in a bucky next to me like this. And his daughter was standing on the, fr- on the seat of the car. It was the day before the safety belts, I think. And uh, she was a little blonde girl. I remember this so clearly. And he was brushing her hair. He was obviously going to drop her off at preschool or something like this. And I just began to cry in the car. And it was like, like finally, like we kind of went like this. We went boom, and we hit a rock bottom. And we kind of slowly began to, well, maybe the rock bottom there, we said this to God. Okay, God, we believe that you will give us children. But even if you don't, it's not going to change our view of you. We're going to trust you and believe in you and in faith. And then it wasn't long after that. Now, seven years we've been waiting. Linda had said to God, God, like she'd been praying this prayer, give me a child before I turn 30. Let me, let me have a child before I turn 30. And it was, we were in like June of, uh, of the year that Linda would turn 30. And she turns 30 in the October. And so the time had passed, God would not answer that prayer. And out of the blue, Linda gets this phone call from a social worker that she used to work with. And a, a family, um, not a family, it was a, a, a young woman and a guy that had just met and had fallen pregnant and, um, when they were in London. And she was four months pregnant, didn't even know she was pregnant, had come out. And God had kind of protected this child from abortion or anything like that. And when she found out she was pregnant, she, she wanted to give the baby away. And so she phones us. Our name's not on an adoption list. We haven't even spoken about adoption. Um, there are lots of, this lady had lots of people on her list that are waiting for a baby. And she phoned us and said, I felt like God said I should contact you and see whether God had called you to have a child. It's a whole wonderful, glorious story because I, I said no to my wife. That's second best. We've got to settle for God's number one. You know, I like, he's going to give us our own children. And then I read in the Bible from Psalm 2-7 where it says, Today I've become your father. Today you've become my son. And I realized, look, we're all adopted. What am I, what am I talking about, you know? So we go meet this couple, and, and Matthew is born to us. We, we were in the hospital the day he was born, and he was handed over to us. And I literally held up this boy, this baby, and I said, Today you've beca- I've become your father. Today you've become my son. And then um, shortly after that, God opens in his womb, and Linda falls pregnant with Hannah. And she's a living proof of, uh, of that. But I tell you what, if we had had Hannah before, we wouldn't have said yes to Matthew. So God's delays was our deliverance, and we didn't save Matthew. Matthew saved us. Like, we were the one that needed the children. God's delays are our deliverance. His disappointments are our deliverance. And a part, I saw this quote by Arthur Pink. He says, how often was the Lord secretly working for you when he turned the heart of some worldling against you? And so sometimes the trials, the no's, the delays, whatever they are, turn out to be actually God's acts of deliverance for us. And if David had continued, if he had pressed through, and sometimes we do that, eh? like when we, when, we feel, when we feel a blockage, we, we, we get presumptuously press through it, like, ah, I'm just going to make it happen. Like God, we, we feel like God said, no, or not now. And we just like, I can, I'm going to make a plan. You know that South African saying, a burmaka plan. Like, no matter what happens, I'm going to figure out my way to the other side. I'm not going to wait for God's timing. I'm going to make it happen. 
Abraham did that um, and, and ended up with an Ishmael fighting and insisted upon it. What would have happened if he had killed just one Israelite in battle? What if his men had taken out one Israelite? I don't think it would have been possible for David ever to have been king of Israel if he had, if he had killed one single Israelite in that battle there. And so what you see is God and working to protect him. There are, there are lines we can cross, friends, that we can't come back from. Now, let me explain this to you. Because you're going, whoa, Rob, God is a redemptive God. He is so redemptive. And it is like no matter what you've done, if you put it into the hands of God, He can begin to redeem what it is, the situation we're in. But sometimes we cross the line that we can't, like it adjusts our inheritance. We still, God can still act. He can still work through it. No matter what cards God has dealt what a hand he has, he always wins, and he'll win through us as well, but he can adjust our inheritance. And so what his, what his plan for us, and so we can never say, like, um, it was God's plan for me to commit adultery, and all that went after that was his plan. We, we know that's not the case. And so there's adjusted inheritance, redemptive, but adjusted. And so in these moments when God comes to confront us, we have to be alert and attentive to what he is saying. And so David goes back home from this time on the front line. He's frustrated. He's humiliated. And maybe there's a part of him that's thinking, man, I got away with it again. Whew. Like this lying stuff is working well for me, you know. And, um, and what happens is things just go from bad to worse for David. He thinks he's having a bad day. It just gets super bad. They go back to the camp. And uh, the Malachites, the guys that he's been raiding, and remember that when he raided the Malachites, he killed every single person in the town so the report would never come back to the king that they had been raiding there. And so that was the way that he dealt with the Malachites. They had come and taken, come and just come, taken his, his wives, his children, his men's wives and children, had taken all of their goods, they had plundered them completely. This is a bad, bad day for David. You know what I mean? Like things are going bad. And then these mighty men that David, that had been with David from the beginning said, you know what we need to do? We need to stone David. So it's like getting worse and worse. And, um, and then the shift starts to change as David strengthened himself in the Lord. In 1 Samuel 30, I want to give you a, a, a picture of what, it, what actually happens afterwards. Verse 17 to 19, it says this, and David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And that's an incredible show of strength. Can you imagine that? All through the night and into the next day, they were just striking down the enemy. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Malachites had taken and rescued his two wives. Listen to this, verse 19. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. And friends, you can make a mess in your life. You can sin, you can accept into, I don't know, whatever you regard it as. But if you will fall to your knees like David did at the moment where he said he strengthened himself in the Lord, God can restore everything that potentially could have been lost. If you continue in your own way, we may not recover it all. But if you will take that moment, and God opens it to everybody in every situation. I remember Archie Kendall preaching once at a big meeting in, in Durban. He was a British-American preacher that, that um, preached, I think, Westminster in the UK for many years. And he stood there, and he, was, he goes, um, he says, some of you right now are contemplating adultery. And then he just shouts out like this, stop it, stop it. 
Stop it! Like this R.T. Kendall, yeah? And then he goes, everything to come back to this moment right now. And so we, we thank God that he, he meets us in that moment. In that moment, we can go, actually, Lord, I need to strengthen myself in you. I need to, I need to like David, fall down in, uh, in, um, in repentance before you, in humility before you. And that word strengthen is not like some passive thing. It's not like I'm going to just sit here and let the Holy Spirit just change everything like a fairy godmother with a wand. It speaks of persistent and continuous effort of seeking out God. And I got to that place, and, and, I, and I, I remember I was, I was going for a, a walk with the Lord. I said, okay, God, I need to strengthen myself in the Lord. See, that is an act of, of it's, it's a moment of repentance, it's not like David was like so he went to God and kind of got an adrenaline shot of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now I'm going to do it. No, no. I believe, we're not clear what happened, but I believe that three things took place for David at that point. And I want to, I want to just quickly talk about those. Number one is, I think he took stock of where he was at. He, he, he allowed the Holy Spirit to do an inward look and, and do an audit of his internal state. Look at these words in 1 Samuel 30, verses 4 to 10, some of them. It says, When David and his men with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Imagine that. These are warriors. Hey? These are hardened warriors. And they wept until they had no more strength left. It says in verse 6, David was greatly distressed. For the men spoke of stoning him because the souls of all of them were bitterly grieved. Each man for his sons and daughters. Verse 10, but David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted and faint to cross the river. Now, imagine being so tired that you cannot even go and rescue your wife and your children. How tired must you be? You must be unable, to, like you're trying to get on the horse and you haven't got the energy to get onto the horse to even pursue you. You, you, you literally are, your, your arms are, are weak by your side. Your, your knees are, are, are wobbling like this. And the and we've got to look at this language and see the consequences. I had to, I, sometimes we've got to take stock of our lives. And we've got to see that actually, you know what? I can't, I'm, I'm, there is a brokenness inside of me. There is a weariness, as so many people do. Ah, I'll be fine. How you do? Ah, I'll be fine. I, I'm not talking about a cut on your leg. Don't be a big girl about that. Just get on with it. That stuff's fine. I'm talking about where there really has been that that exhaustion in your inner being, that wounding in your inner being, that injustice, the delays, the hurts, the things like, like for Linda and I, like waiting for this baby to come, like where are you, God, in this situation? And so then we, we look at some of the things David faced. He faced rejection, and maybe you faced that. He faced loss. He faced threats and betrayal. He faced confusion and profound complexity. And so we've got to verbalize where we're at. You've got to get before God and say, God, this is how I'm feeling. It's not that our feelings are actually express them to God or express them to, to God and somebody else. And if we don't, we put these coping mechanisms in place. We end up running away like David did from our destiny. You know what? I'm just, I just can't anymore. And so when Vesey comes and says, hey, man, you've got such an amazing gift of teaching. Why don't you share with the men at the next um, five in the morning ungodly hour meeting time? I, I, I can't believe you guys get up so early. You're real men when you get up that early for a meeting. You must really love Jesus. Um, but um, but Vesey asks you to share, and you say, oh, no, no, no. But it's actually because of what's gone on inside of you. You're running away from the destiny in your life. Sometimes you go into hiding. You, you throw yourself into work, or you throw yourself into your hobby, or into anything else just so that anger. 
Are you, are you finding yourself angry all the time? Take stock, friends. Are you finding yourself caught up in self-pity or entitlement, a victim mentality? Well, then take stock of what's going inside of you. You find yourself um, craving um, activities of self-comfort, buying things or, or whatever it is that you, that you do to, to bring some sense of um, uh, dulling the pain that you're going through. I think an excellent prayer to ask God is, uh, and a dangerous one or difficult one, is Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes, friends, we've got a part of stay and say, okay, God, speak to me. Help me to see what's going on inside of me. Number two is to listen to God. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 7 and 8, it says, And then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Amimelech, Please bring me the ephod. And the ephod, and the ephod was the, the Urim and Thurim, which is a, it's a picture of the, of the word of God. It's where we go to, to hear what God is saying. And they would, we don't really, really understand how it worked, but it kind of gave a yes and a no answer, like a, like, a, like a throwing of the dice kind of thing. I know that sounds very ungodly, but that was how that seemed to work. It was anointed by God to do this. And so then David asked the questions. He says, shall I pursue the band? Shall I overtake them? He asked two questions, and God gives him three answers. He said to him, pursue, answer for number one, and for you shall surely overtake them. For question number two. And then there's this third answer. You shall surely rescue all. That was a question David didn't want to ask. Remember when he had attacked the Malachites, he had killed all of them to make sure that there were no witnesses. Had the Malachites done the same thing back to him? And then he's even, it's difficult for him to express this question, but God answers the unspoken question of his heart. They're alive. Go after them. You will rescue them. There's something so interesting here. Like if... If, if I was God, and you can be very grateful I'm not, and everybody in the world would be grateful, amen. Um, but if David had done this after, like, he'd, like this is 16 months, promised land into the land of the Philistines. He'd gone from the presence and the promises of God into the land of the Philistines. And now he's made such a mess of it, like God's been behind him cleaning up the whole time, and finally he comes to his knees. And I would say, okay, it's fine. You're forgiven I, want to, I accept your repentance, but there's a, new, there's a new plan here. There's a new program going on. There's some new rules in the way that I'm dealing with you. But God doesn't do that. He's so profoundly gracious. He just accepts David's repentance, and, and David then obeys him. And when we come to God, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, because I need it so often, is 1 John 1 verse 9. that says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't say God is loving and kind. Isn't that weird? When we confess our sins and we come to Him, he, it doesn't say He's loving and kind and so He'll forgive you. He was already loving and kind 2,000 years ago when Christ died upon the cross. Now, because we belong to Him, if He doesn't forgive us, He is unfaithful and unjust. How crazy is that? That means that when you come to God, no matter what you've done, with a sincere heart of repentance, He will 100% of the time forgive you. Isn't that amazing? Imagine having a father like that or a mother like that. Like, I had this recurring dream when I was a kid. I don't know if you suffered from this weirdness. I had this dream that I would borrow my dad's car and I would take it out. And because I was stupid, I would crash it. And then in my dream, I'm thinking, I've got to tell my dad that I've crashed his car. You know, like, like I did something stupid. And then I would wake up and I would be like touching my body like this. Go, I'm alive. I'm in my bed. I didn't 
crash the car. Hallelujah, I didn't crash the car. Like this. And sometimes when we get ourselves into difficult places, we think to ourselves, oh, what's it going to be like if I, if I go to God with this thing? What will he do? Friends, he already did what he's going to do. Jesus died on the cross. It's kind of like every day we should wake up kind of going, oh, I was a sinner and I'm forgiven. Oh, hallelujah. Like, like we shouldn't become blasé about our salvation. When we sing the songs, we should be like, what? You, like, like every day, you did this for me, reminded of the wonder of our salvation. And David gets reminded in this situation. The last thing, and I'll bring, this, bring our land with this. Although the runway may not be as close as you think, but I'm, I am coming into land. As I was processing this with the Lord, I, I went to my park to pray. I've got a park outside my home. It's one of the gifts God has given me that I can walk right to it and go walk around it under shady trees in this desert of Dubai and pray. And as I was praying and saying, God, how do I do this? How do I strengthen myself in you? I felt that God say to me, Rob, you're gonna, you need to look up you need to look out, and you need to look in. And then I began this process. And I believe that God was telling me that I needed to look up and see Him. And not, not God as this misty thing, but see, spend, and so I did, I, I spent time with God my Father. It was, I just spent a day with Him. I just meditating on Him. There's a song that I've been listening to that spoke about the faithfulness of God. And it was, I felt that like God wanted to, um, remind me that he's a faithful God, that he will do what he said he will do. That's what it means. That's what faithfulness means. It's not more complicated than that, that what he said he will do, he will do. And I needed a father like that at the time. And so I spent a day with the father. And then I spent a day with the son. Um, my wife's mother passed away in 2020 during COVID. It was a, you know, we've, we all went through the ridiculousness and the, the, the terribleness of that stupidity. Um, you can see the way I feel about that thing. But Linda's mom had got diagnosed with cancer. She had been brought home from hospital to die and we couldn't fly home and be with her in the last two weeks before she passed away. And I've been listening to the song by this lady called Stephanie Gretzinger called um, um, what is it called? Nobody Ever Cared For Me Like This. Um, I think that's what it's called. And there's this line in the song with the lines, it goes like this. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. His faithful hand has held me all the way. And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known and you alone, my joy is found. Oh, my joy, my joy. And I sent that to Linda's mom in the weeks that she was um, coming to the end, you know. I love that line there. When I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known and you alone, my joy is found. And in, in the one of the other verses, it says, let, the, let my testimony be, that my children tell their children that my treasure was in you and you alone. And I needed to find the joy of Jesus. My joy, my joy. And then I spent some time with the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, end of 2 Corinthians, Paul lands his letter and he says, he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship, the koinonia, the 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 partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I, and I ask myself the question, do I experience that daily? Do I even acknowledge the Holy Spirit's partnership in each day and each moment of the day? Like when I'm facing that difficult situation, do I go, Holy Spirit, I'm glad you're with me right now. 
Do I, do I, what are the words that I use to invite him into my moments? What is the posture I take? What is the attitude I have so that I'm fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit each day? And then on the day after that, I, um, I broke bread. And I uh, see the, the elements are out. Um, and uh, I want to land this. We could actually, as that song's playing this morning, we could go up and get the elements and break bread. And I, and I wanted to, I can't, this is a weird thing to do because it's like, I wanted to break bread with God. I wanted to commune with Him. I wanted to thank Him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for what they'd done. And then I looked out, and I, and I, um, I don't have time to, it was, it was me taking stock of my relationships. Who, I, I began, made a list of who the most important relationships have been in my life, what they'd meant to me. And I, and I said, I said, Holy Spirit, if you tell me I'm going to send a message or, or make a phone call or go visit or whatever it is to express my gratitude for those people, because I kind of lost connection a little bit. We get ourselves isolated in those moments. We miss things. Yeah? And then I took a day to, to think about who's my most important relationship on this earth right now. Who's that person? And obviously it's my wife, just in case you were wondering. And I wrote her a letter and I just expressed my incredible gratitude to her for who she is and what she's meant to me. And then I thought about the relationships that, or people that weren't on my list be, intentionally because they'd hurt me. And maybe some of those that were on my list of significant relationships had hurt me where I needed release, forgiveness. Because I'm strengthening myself in the Lord. And lastly, I looked in. And we've got to be so intentional and deliberate but not like um, self-obsessed, hey? Because there's nothing worse than when we spend so much time thinking about ourselves that we lose sight of, of Jesus. I, I read this beautiful quote this week that said, for every look at ourselves, we should take 10 looks at Christ. But sometimes we need to have a look at ourselves. You know? Look inward. What are the, the attitudes and the actions I need to start letting go of? What are the things that are spikes that I need the Holy Spirit to come in and, and begin to sort out? And it's not a, a magic pill, uh, sometimes I wish the Holy Spirit was a fairy godmother. Holy Spirit, I need patience. Here I'm standing. Just, just bang me with that wand, Lord. Bing! Like this. And I'm suddenly the most patient person on earth. We've got the worst traffic lights in Dubai. You can literally wait five minutes at a traffic light. You can sit at a red traffic light for five, five sixty-second minutes at a traffic light. My patience or my impatience just, like, I, I don't know. And, and Linda always says to me, until you learn the lesson, it's going to keep happening. And she's 100% right. And so what I've got to do, I've got to invite God in. I've got to intentionally surrender. And then I've got to take the initiative in establishing new ways of thinking and of acting. You know what helped me was that a number of years ago, I picked up a book by Bill Hybels called Simplify. And I know his, his things didn't end the way that they should have with Bill Hybels and his, and his ministry, but it doesn't mean that everything anybody's written because they didn't end well um, is disqualified. And he'd written this book called Simplify. Those chapters, um, exhausted to energized, overscheduled to organized, anxious to peaceful, isolated to connected, drifting to focused, stuck to moving on. And I just spent a day around each of those things and asked God to come in and, um, and reset me a little bit in each of the things. You might, there might be another book that you've got that helps you. There might be a friend that you want to meet with that will talk you through some of those things. But, but take stock of where you're at. You might sit with your spouse, but you've got to do this thing um, and allow God in. 
Now, some of you might be flying right now, and you're thinking, Rob, what a rubbish preach. I don't need to strengthen myself. I'm like, I'm anointed. I'm inspired. I'm God's man of power for the hour. I'm a lean, mean, devil-kicking machine, you know, until he wasn't. And we're all going to get to the place, if we're not careful, where we actually need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And how much better to go through this process and, and take stock of where you're at. Hear what God is saying. Look up, look out, look in, so that we don't get to the place like I got to. We're out of pride and exhaustion and offense or whatever it was, um, fell into um, a trap. I don't want that for you, friends. It's amazing that in 1 Samuel 31, the, in that battle that David was supposed to have fought in, Saul and his sons are killed. After waiting so long to become king, after the delays seemed like it, it was impossibly long, it was never going to come to an end. It was only at the end of this journey that God said, now's the time. And uh, he removed the obstacles out the way. He removed the hindrances out the way. And David began to emerge into his destiny. And friends, I, I trust for you that there is a, a time of obstacles getting out the way as you go through this process. And, and maybe you haven't yet got there. Whatever God's taking you through. But don't forget that there is a destiny at the end of every one of these situations that you face. Are we ready with that song? So while you get that ready, I want to just pray for us if that's all right. Can I do that? It's all right. So I want to pray a couple of things, friends. One is that it feels like, it must have felt like for David when the men were ready to stone him and everything had been taken. It's too far gone. There's nothing I can do. And yet, because at that moment he got onto his knees before the Lord, there was a restoration of all things. So I want to pray for that. And I also want to pray um, that the Lord would just take you on this journey. Father, won't you come now? By your Holy Spirit. And just begin to minister your grace into people's lives, Lord God. I pray for those that have lost their sense of vision. Pray for those that have been hurt by the people, bruised. I pray for those that have found the delays to be too difficult, Lord God, to cope with. I pray for those that have, have drifted into these um, coping mechanisms of running away or hiding or anger or self-pity or entitlement. I just want to pray your grace be upon them, Lord God. I pray that you would meet them as you met David. I pray they would hear the answer to the question they're too scared to ask. Yes, you will recover everything. I thank you, Lord God, that there is destiny in this room in ways that people cannot begin to comprehend, Lord God. And, I, and my prayer, Lord God, that you would, um, that you would release them into it. I think of the, the words, Lord God, of that um, song that we sang this morning. Wahambanati, you have journeyed with us. We're never alone, Lord God. You're with us every step of the way. And it feels at times like, like, what am I doing here? But you're there, Lord Jesus. You've promised you'll be there. And I pray that today, that the, the, the same way that the, I believe the wind of the Holy Spirit would have blown upon David and strengthened him and filled him with courage again. And, and even a supernatural strength to ride through the, through the night and to pursue them for, for a day and a half and slay them, Lord God. 
I pray you fill your sons and your daughters with a fresh strength. And Lord, even as the song plays now and these words minister to us as we perhaps go up with our family or our friends and get the elements, I pray that you'd minister and allow these words to just refresh us within, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.